Do you hate your job? Of course you do. So do Liz and Noah. Now it's time to join their conversation so you can figure out how to quit your soul-crushing job. Welcome to another episode of When Can I Quit My Job. Today I'm going to be speaking with my good friend Cody Jasmine. He's going to tell us about his new project, Hyperwheel Overdrive, and how he transitioned into working for himself. Enjoy the show. Why don't we start off by you telling me about your most recent project and well maybe we shouldn't start there what what's your background what uh did you do you have a degree uh no i have uh just a two-year college diploma okay Uh, i took new media production and design um so it was really generalized like actually programming was such a small aspect of it but it was a little bit of every kind of digital media production thing you can do on a computer, like a little bit of audio production, animation, video. So, I mean, okay. if I could if I could go back, I mean, a, a person could certainly uh, skip college. I'd probably do it again just because of the other, the, the fun aspects. Of yeah. It. But, uh, did you live on campus but, uh, and, yeah. and have like the full college experience then? Yeah, I did. Okay, okay. So, uh, so, so lots of drinking. I'm happy to not have that be so much of a part of my life now, but sure. I think there's a, I'm, I'm happy to have had that period as well. Sure. Um, so was that straight out of high school and were you burdened with debt after that? I took a year off, uh, off, uh, high school uh, or I mean, sorry, I took a year off after high school. Um, and then I got into college the following year. So I, I worked for a year. Um, mostly I, you know, I sold, uh, sold computers at a big box, uh, retailer and, um, stock shelves at another one, that kind of thing. Okay. So was that because of your interest in technology and things like that, or that was just like the best paying job you could find? Yeah. I, I mean that I, I roofed for a little while and then it started to get really cold in medicine hat, Alberta. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I found that that wasn't for me, and I took a huge pay cut and decided to sell stuff in a computer store instead. Wow, what's uh, what 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 kind of lows do you experience in Alberta, uh, temperature-wise? Oh, I mean, it, things will get to like minus thirties uh, Celsius. Wow, so I, I think uh, minus forty is the crossover point between Fahrenheit and Celsius, so it's okay. Yeah, it's. It's what five ninths and minus thirty-two. I'm not gonna do the math the thing, right now, but <laughs> yeah. The, the the thing is, um, it, it, all that stuff feels so relative. Like the first week it gets cold, I'm just a chronic complainer, and then <laughs> like towards the end of the winter, I'm out shoveling snow in a t-shirt. Like it's, it's weird how you <laughs> wow. just kind of acclimate to the to the temperature over time. Yeah. Well, so I live in uh, northern Indiana, which is a about a three hour drive from Canada. So like, yeah, I feel like less than a pussy of most Americans personally, <laughs> but like, yeah. I don't deal with negative 30 Fahrenheit. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't like the cold and I'm a, I'm a bigger wuss every year. I think like, you know, I can remember as a kid making snow forts and stuff and being out there for hours, even on really cold days now. Now I can't imagine it. Unless I'm doing something really cool like snowboarding. Oh, you snowboard? A little bit. Not much in recent years. Okay. Okay. It's, it's like winter's golf. It's so expensive. 
<laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, our our luckily our winter only lasts six months here, so uh, <laughs> it's probably worse there. But yeah. um, so okay, so you went you went to school, you got a two year degree, and then what did that lead to? How long ago was that, and what where did that lead next? Uh, so yeah, I got graduated um, at SAIT in two thousand eight, and then uh, okay, it. Uh, about three or four months later, I found a web development job, okay. and I worked at that company for ten years up until, um, wow. until March first, twenty nineteen, when I went off and did my own thing. Yeah. Okay. And so, so yeah, I can, I can expand on that a little bit. Uh, I was my yeah. boss's first hire, so it, it was a tiny web dev company, and then I got to see it grow to, I, I, I don't know if we were eleven or twelve people at peak, but like doing t-shirt printing and stuff like that as well. So, well, although that, wow. that was never part of my wheelhouse, I was always just a backend programmer. Okay. And so what did that entail? Like, uh, um, your, what was your day to day there and did it change over time? It's changed. I mean, the responsibilities grew, but what I did from basically day one at that job still carried through mostly. Like, you know, except after that as, as managing some people as well. Although, you know, that's in quotation marks because there's there was never any time to do it, really. So okay. it was, uh, everybody everybody had a lot of autonomy, for better or worse, just because we just didn't have the capacity to constantly be checking each other's work and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but uh, so what it was like for me was... There was a lot of email interaction with clients. You know, if they had some day-to-day problems, something came up, then we'd look at that if it was urgent uh, almost immediately. And then otherwise, we just kind of had project roadmaps for the for our various projects, and each person in the office would kind of own a project or two, or in my case, a whole bunch, because it's the longer you're at somewhere, the more you're needed for all the legacy stuff as well. Yeah. So, you can try to you can try to plan and transition people away and like ultimately that's kind of the best thing you could do in a perfect world because otherwise people get burnt out if they're stuck with the same thing forever but uh sure it's it's a lot easier said than done so i sure. I, I kind of understand why it was really difficult for that to happen so do you feel like as you're at that job how did your level of satisfaction with the job trace over time and do you feel like you were fairly compensated as you began to take on more responsibilities? Yeah, I, I think I was fairly compensated uh, throughout that. Um, and uh, sorry, what was the first question again? So how, how do you trace your like satisfaction with the job over that eight year okay. or 10 year span? Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, there were definitely periods that of uh, that 10 years that I enjoyed far more than other ones. And I, I think uh, when it got bad, it was usually just because we were stuck working on the same thing for a long time and usually a little bit behind schedules as software development stuff often goes. I mean, it, it's uh, it's funny how bad, how long a person can do these kinds of estimates for how long things take and still be not real great at it. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I, I think there were there were periods of working there where there was just too high of a workload that where you have that feeling that you can never actually get caught up and 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 afloat again so then you know it 
it can make a person feel kind of uh, lazy as well. Okay. Where it's like it feels like there's no winning sometimes. Okay. But I'd say most of the time throughout that ten years, the workload was pretty reasonable, and I was actually happiest sometimes under some of the biggest pressure, and that's not because of the pressure aspect, which I I don't really enjoy. But because usually that what came with that is like some kind of uh, programming challenge that I've never encountered before. Okay. And that's that's kind of what drives me in that kind of thing. Like I like the puzzle solving aspect of programming. Okay. Well, can you give me a little more information about that? Like what? Like give me maybe not necessarily like a super specific example, but like what kind of? So I have no background or really knowledge of like programming so like what kind of challenge would you run into that would actually inspire you oh uh, okay so yeah there was um with web development it's a lot of figuring out how to efficiently move data around and reformat it so you you're like to, to, to become like more efficient kind of or like so if you, all of our stuff was uh, big database driven web applications so, you know, like students' databases for schools and things like that. So there'd be a lot of data interactivity. And so I'd say the vast majority of that job was just figuring out how to efficiently retrieve data from a server, reformat it so that, you know, it can be used on some kind of form and the, the client can manipulate it and then resubmit that to the server, say, that stuff properly and efficiently like uh, there's a lot of data movement okay so is that kind of so i am vaguely familiar with writing macros is that kind of what that is i mean in a way because you you kind of build your toolkit as you go and you know you might have some code snippets here and there that you copy and paste from one project to the next or, or reuse whole modules. So in, in that, yeah, it is kind of like like setting up a macro in that. But th then there's still a lot of things where something's a little bit different and it's different enough that you, you have to do a big rewrite on something anyway. Like it can be as simple as like, um, like file uploading or, or something, whatever the needs are. If it's just uploading and resizing an image or something, you uh -huh. can do it in a really simple manner, but if say it was uploading video, then you might have to do some kind of chunked uploading system where it uploads the file in chunks and then rebuilds it on the server oh, just okay. because of the time, the time constraints and uploading. Yeah. So I then there's like, there's lots of things where you, you almost have to change the, the approach entirely. Which, right. Uh, so like, it's frustrating. See, I get it. Yeah. So it's like, you might build a system that's as efficient for uploading one one image or one video but then you realize once it, once it comes to like doing it in bulk maybe it's time to rethink it because it's not going to be efficient enough that kind of thing like yeah and, and that there's 10 ways to do ever or there's probably 20 ways to do everything and eight of them are going to lead to huge problems down the road some of those, <laughs> oh, some of those yeah. avenues might be obviously bad but some are some are not, and until you have the work experience to kind of see the pattern ahead of time, and and identify that and be like, hey, let's not do this because how are we going to change this later? Or you know, like right. there's certain things that kind of lock a system in place, and it just 
it's not impossible to overhaul, but it's difficult. Yeah. I don't know. It makes me think of uh, like like leap year and leap day and stuff like that, where where you know you're the way you set a system up. Like, okay, you're gonna have leftovers, and there's ways to correct for that, but it may not be yeah. the most efficient way. I don't know. That's yeah. I actually have a 13 month calendar system I built. Uh, it's on some website. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, was is rip a rip off of uh, this guy's. Um, diagram that he made for so it's like 13 months each is has 28 days that gets you to 364 days and then you basically have a day zero at the beginning or end of the year oh wow um and it's so it's like it's a good system i i just did it just to demonstrate like kind of that none of this a lot not a lot of the stuff that we have isn't really set in stone like it's not right. like i expect to demonstrate this and overnight people are like oh yeah this is dumb let's not use a 12 month calendar where <laughs> oct is the 10th month and <laughs> right. the oldest, but, yeah. but at the same yeah, time yeah. it's just sometimes it's fun just kind of demonstrating things like that that sure people thinking maybe creatively building their own things well yeah I, I believe that's something we probably have in common is to to question the norm so um yeah that's certainly certainly something i think we share so did did that your tenure at this job well so how did that change your worldview did did it or how did it lead to uh the next thing you did and i guess kind of talk through that like how how did it change your view about being an employee kind of thing and like how did it lead to where you are now and we could talk about where you are now next <laughs> Um, watching it and seeing it build up from the bottom level, like where I was the first hire, um, it, it made me really appreciate, uh, the, the risks and responsibilities and rewards of entrepreneurship. And, um, over time, I also kind of came to the realization that, uh, there's, there's really not job security per se in anything like if you're working for somebody else or if you're doing your own thing like people always say it's so risky to go off and do your own thing which like okay there is a great deal of risk that you're taking on to do something like that but sometimes uh sitting still and not doing something incurs a fair bit of risk as well yes i very much agree <laughs> And there's always heavy opportunity costs to pay if you get too comfortable somewhere where you're just, you're, you know, you're comfortable, but you might not be growing at the same rate that you would if you were maybe a little less comfortable. Sure, sure. And yeah, and, and some people push themselves and some people need to be pushed. And yeah, when you get into one of those positions, a lot of times you become complacent and you feel no need to push at all um so do you do you yeah. do you feel like do you feel like your time at the job that we were just talking about was the root and the genesis of what you're now well maybe we should talk about what what you're doing now and then and then we can go back to those kinds sure. of questions so so okay yeah, what's your what's your most recent project? And um, yeah, just from from scratch, what are you what are you doing now? All right. So I 
I left uh, PHP programming web development for uh, writing C Sharp code and the Unity game engine. And so now I'm building uh, virtual reality video games for the PC. And uh, my first game is called Hyperwheel Overdrive. It's uh, a car combat game. It also contains racing, but it, I'd say it's more of an arena combat game than a racing game. And it also has first-person shooter elements. So there's, you're holding this rifle and you're driving this vehicle that's just two giant wheels. And um, yeah, it's it's a lot to keep track of. And that's some of the some of the challenge that we're dealing with now is that I have hundreds of hours into this thing. I'm pretty good at it just because I have stupid testing hours. Uh, but there is a learning curve to the game, though it looks more like a Mario Kart or something than an actual simulation racer. So it's 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 not exactly what it appears to be at first glance. It this you know, it, it's actually quite challenging to get good at it. So so that, that'll be the challenge. Of, go ahead. Yeah, it reminds me. Uh, so I've I've seen some of your videos of the testing gameplay when you were working through like the physics of it and things like that, which I'm really curious about. But um, to me, what it reminded me of, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but on PlayStation One, there was a game called Twisted Metal, and uh, I yeah. I played Twisted Metal Two. I don't know if this guy was on the first one or not, but there's a guy called Axel, and uh, yeah. It was, it was just like a black yeah. dude standing on a platform with two giant wheels next to him. Yeah. And I love that character. character. And, and that's kind yeah, of what... That game, and that, that game and that guy, that character, were, were actually both inspirations for the game. Uh, oh, wow. Those, it, it actually, also, the, the earliest genesis of the game was me and my brother, who's a paraplegic, and we were discussing how you could do some kind of a Tony Hawk's pro skater in a, uh, in a wheelchair. So... Oh yeah. We were talking about actually like using the hand movements to to push some virtual push rims. Wow. Uh, yeah. In practice, it kind of limits what you can do with your hands and the other things. So over after some iteration, I kind of figured out that maybe that wasn't the best approach. But yeah, that's kind of the genesis of it there. Wow. And then also like twisted metal, you're saying with Axel. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. So that's cool that that was part of the genesis of it, but. Uh, so, and how long have you been working on that project? Um, I started prototyping some stuff early in like October, November uh, of 2018, but I didn't really start working on it full time for until I left my job. Yeah, I was gonna say, give me yeah, give me a little bit of uh, a timeline if you can of where you when you quit your job. When you started to work on this and like, and have you supplemented your income in any other way or like, are you, how, how have you handled that? Like the, the financial side. Okay. Of so that, that part was just, uh, um, accidentally being lucky using a cheat code essentially of, uh, I bought some Bitcoin in 2011 and sat on it forever. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Then the time came to actually liquidate some of that so that I could start to try to build my own game dev business. But yeah, it was just pure luck. And then it's it's it's, it's wow. Funny. Well, I mean, I I only bought Bitcoin out of my libertarian ideology. I liked the idea. It was, you know, back in 2011, early days, I didn't really know anything, and nobody else did either, except the, like the cypherpunk people who yeah. were ahead of everybody. But right. uh, 
Uh, so I, I only bought some out of, out of ideology. So it's, it's funny now, like after, you know, in hindsight, okay, it was a really great decision. Maybe not for the best of reasons, though, because people say you should never, uh, never emotionally invest. And really, that's exactly what that was. But right. so I think it's funny now when people are like, hey, should I get this? It's like, hey, I'm not qualified to give any financial advice. Like I made a lucky purchase. Right. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I didn't know that. So are you, how, how much did you divest like percent percentage wise? Like how much, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to share like, you know, dollar amounts or anything like that, but like of what you bought, how much did you divest from like 66% um, or something or. I, I've actually not spent a significant percentage of it yet. So it's, it, should keep things going for a long time to come. With that said, I'd much prefer uh, to just make the game profitable and have it pay for itself in my cost of living. But sure, yeah, it's a, it's it's enough that I don't really have to be concerned anytime soon. Wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, so, so let me. I want to understand your outlook on um so i know you it feels like it seems like you kind of happened into what you're doing now on some level um do you have like a philosophy about um being maybe like an employee versus working for yourself do you have any feelings about that like if if the game totally tanks and bitcoin becomes worthless uh, how how would you feel about becoming an employee again? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, be, going back to an employment situation would uh, feel like a huge downgrade. Um, uh, and even I was kind of spoiled even when I was at the web dev company for ten years because, again, we had we had a lot of autonomy. There was no micromanaging going on, so you know you you have a chance to sink and swim on your own merits which is the kind of that's how i prefer to do work anyway like i i don't think i'll ever want to really work in a really large organization i think the larger organizations get the more difficult it is to maintain integrity and i mean you people struggle with that even at small scale too but i think it just gets worse as uh things build up yeah that's that's interesting and then also the there's a there's an efficiency argument to make as well. Like, if I'm if I'm ever at the point where I can hire an employee to do 3D models or something like that, um, there's there I'll have to change my process entirely and document a lot more things like using some of the project management tools that I have a history of using. But uh, the advantage of having done it all by myself is there's there's a lot less of that overhead like even to communicate it to a clone of me it would be more work than just you know there's a there's a lot of person can track out of their head pretty well right right wow yeah that's that's really interesting i hadn't really thought of um i guess yeah as as businesses grow it's basically the red tape and the bureaucracy that grows that does make employment basically more difficult. I hadn't thought of it that way before. 
have you worked yeah, that and then all the all the necessary communication that arises just like if you have two or three people in a project versus one that like two people isn't 200 percent output it's probably more like 160 or maybe more than that but right yeah and then you get to the point where there's uh you know assistant managers and managers and district managers and regional managers and uh and then and then each of them only knows what they need to know to make it run efficiently and yeah yeah which which i'm I'm glad some people have those kinds of motivations to try to build really large organizations but i don't think i i have it in me yeah 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 i don't think i want to be on either side of that equation actually i don't want to be the owner giving giving the you know x percent of the uh orders to this person and x percent of the orders to that person and yeah you know know, as my own business owner um i have no need or want to to grow to that point yeah Um, i guess i hadn't thought of it that way but so so what's your what's your like ultimate goal um do do you want do you want this particular app is this app that you just created this game that you created is this a stepping stone is do you want this are you going to focus on this for a long time and try to make it profitable are you going to move on to the next thing having taken the experience from this one and try to do the next best thing or where are you with that uh, provided I can grow sales substantially, I would love to put a lot more time into this game and support it a lot longer. Um, but with that said, like I've got, I feel like I've got quite a few years of game design all ideas already that I'd like to iterate on. Um, to, to me, VR is a, is a, a new medium entirely from what the, you know, what the internet was or television or radio. Like it's, it's essentially the last medium to develop because it just it contains all of the other ones and you know where you go from there it's like okay vr that uses the sensory organs that we already have so we have lenses on top of screens like I, the mic i'm actually using is my oculus rip because the other one the webcam one's on it. oh there you go <laughs> but yeah. um you know so we'll go from there to like maybe someday it'll be like the data jack matrix thing um but that's really just a jump in fidelity. It's still, it's still VR. And so we're basically at the, we're at the early primitive version of the last medium that we're really going to make. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, no, it, to- it makes total sense. And, and I, to be a hundred percent honest, I haven't experienced VR personally ever on any level. Um, I, I would say it's definitely worth a try, like even going to one of those VR arcades. I mean, I guess now is not the time because uh, they're, they're probably not even open given that it's like the, the worst kind of business for the current situation because oh, right. it's people putting their, putting their heads in the headsets. And yeah. so I, I, I feel bad for what they're probably all going through right now. But yeah. when, when things get better, yeah, I, I highly recommend trying that for a couple hours. Like, I- so. 
to to test my game in the development phase, I basically had to force my dad to get a, a VR PC, which I've al already sold one to my brother a w long time ago because he was big into a World War II flight simulator called Aces High. Okay. And he'd been playing it for years on a laptop, and then I brought my Rift over one day, and we tried it on that, and then he, he just couldn't go back to playing it on a screen anymore. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. so he bought one, and I had him to help me test, but then uh, then I made my dad go get one. and. He's not a gamer, so it's it's interesting to hear his perspective as like, a, you know, a guy who will be 60 this year, and uh, he does it just fine because it's more it's more intuitive. Like, there's no button combinations to learn, or a lot less. Like, oh you know, right, you have, you have these two controllers, but you're just pretending to pick things up as you would point a gun. You know, yeah, it's, it's a lot more intuitive. Okay, okay, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, so I suppose I have done. I did. I did like a. Well, that doesn't even count. But yeah, so I guess I'm. I'm. I agree that like, the, the reason for me that I haven't really tried it, is, because I am sure I'm gonna like it a lot, and I don't want to that, have to fair. to need it. <laughs> yeah. Like I need a lot of things. <laughs> that's not something else I need. I want to need. I, I, I hear you. That's why. That's why I'm uh, not going to touch heroin until I'm about seventy-five. That. <laughs> hey, you know what? I might be the only other person you've talked to that has that exact same strategy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured like, there's a lot of there's a lot of like, struggle heroin addicts that will tell you that hands down it was the best experience of their entire life. The sure. problem is if you have that experience too early and then your whole life derails and you ruin it, ruin it completely. Sure. But if you're almost dead anyway, the risk is pretty low. Right, yeah, exactly. Hey, hopefully by the time we're 75, you know, the, uh, the average age range is bumped up a little, so I won't try it till I'm 100 and I only have 25 years left to live, you know? Okay, barring old age, how many, how many years do you think you'd want to hang out on this planet and do stuff, learn new things. Uh, if I'm, if my mind is right and my body is right, I could do at least a few hundred years, I think. How about you? Yeah, that's fair. I feel like I've definitely got 150 years in me. Is I think yeah. with that kind of longevity, I think a person would just completely change careers at certain intervals and to do something totally different. Sure. I think, yeah, I, th I think if my mind is as clear as it is now and my body works as good as it is right now, uh, maybe even pushing a thousand, who knows? But uh, beyond that, maybe we're getting a little redundant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, because I, I definitely want to see what happens in the next hundred because uh, the world's either going to be really, really awesome or really, really horrible. Yeah. I don't want to see which, uh, which one unfolds. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm not like uh, a, a super religious person or anything like that, but I, I do think that good wins out. So I am pretty optimistic about things. I, I think that the truth wins over time. So um, I think things will change. Like I, I, I feel like we're maybe in a particularly kind of dark time right now, but I'm not scared by it. I'm not threatened by it. And I think, uh, things will change soon, and and people are starting to become aware of the way things are stupid. 
Yeah, for sure. As long as uh, as long as we can make sure they can't turn the internet back into TV, I think we'll be all right. Right, right, yeah. Or either that, or, or maybe driving uh, lots, lots, and lots of people to the to the black web or dark web or whatever. Uh, yeah, could be the solution. But so yeah, yeah. I think they'll lose the tech arms race ultimately, the controllers. But I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, give any any current project you're working on. Give give all your plugs. Uh, where where can where can people find uh, your game and what's it called and all that stuff? Okay, uh, so uh, small update on the game. Um, it's temporarily been made unavailable to purchase. Uh, we're kind of taking back, it back to the garage, so to speak, and doing some tweaking for uh, for various comfort settings to allow a lot more people to play the game. Uh, most VR games are not, they don't have so much acceleration stuff going on that there's a, there's definitely some things we're going to have to take into account and make some revisions so that a larger variety of people will be able to play the game. So, so um, c- comfort settings basically being like you can get dizzy and that kind of stuff if otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So the third person camera feature fell into that category. Uh, there's, other things that have been working really well for VR games, like they'll, uh, some games will over, overlay a little cage over your field of view. That, that's something stationary to compare with. Uh, and for some people, you know, everybody's brain seems to work different with the perception system. And like, yeah. so, I mean, my, my brother and my dad and I were basically immune to simulator sickness, which is caused by your ear is telling your brain you're not moving at all because you're not actually feeling any acceleration, but your eyes are saying, nope, we're definitely moving here, and there's that mismatch. But mm. it seems to affect people differently, and for me, it's almost a non-issue, but I could go, I could jump on a roller coaster after eating some terrible amusement park food. So <laughs> it's, in retrospect, uh, the, the testing group that I've had access to is not really sufficient because it's all people in the same family, kind of. So now oh, I have access sure. to a wider wider testing group right now so we're gonna make some revisions and make sure that everybody in that testing group is happy and then uh re-release the game on steam and hopefully at the same time we'll be releasing on the oculus store and uh so that's it's uh, available at neonengine.net and twitter.com slash neonengine so the company is neon engine interactive okay yeah and uh send me those links and i'll share those in the notes um And it, uh, is are those is that the only place you can find those? Cur- um, currently? yeah, pretty much the the Twitter, the website, and the the Steam page. So you can check out the game. Cool. You can wishlist the game there as well. Nice is uh maybe um in, in a, if you want you could share like um a, a test trial like a I know you have some like YouTube videos of like the trial runs and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Share a link with that, and I I can share that too. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, awesome. I'll definitely send you that. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate you making time. It was, it was awesome to catch up. So you guys. Thanks for listening to When Can I Quit My Job? Please remember to support the show by visiting com and clicking the Patreon and Amazon links. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about us. 
Liz and Noah are not financial or legal advisors, and all information given on this podcast should be consumed for entertainment purposes only.